Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyid al-Mursaleen wa khatim al-Nabiyyin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-Tahirin wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawmiddin wa ba'd. My dear respected brothers and sisters in Islam, respected elders, respected guests and students, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This was actually a 16-week course that we do on, on Sundays with the adults uh, for which these slides were prepared. And somebody might say, hey, it says fiqh of marriage and divorce. I didn't want to come to hear about marriage. I thought we were going to talk about divorce. So if that's the case, that's, this is from the, the slides that were prepared for the class. So there's definitely a, a first section where we learn about fiqh of marriage. And then there's also the fiqh of divorce, both. Uh, but due to the uh, time not being sufficient, it's very difficult to com summarize 16 weeks into one, one an hour, one and a half hour. So we'll focus, inshallah, on the fiqh of the divorce part. Primarily, and we will take questions regarding uh, anything related to the topic, inshallah. So, just to uh, set the agenda so we are in the correct frame of mind, there are many seminars and talks where they talk about how to have a successful marriage, tips on a successful, successful marriage, uh, how to have a happy marriage, um, and how to live with one another, with husband and wife, etc. So, those are very much needed. And I'm not to, not to take anything away from those type of sessions, but they are, mashallah, conducted. Uh, I'm not saying they're connected enough and should not be conducted more, but we, we need more of those, but they are conducted. And those sessions do take place. So tonight's session is we want to cover the actual sharia aspects, the fiqh aspects, and the legalities, the sharia legalities. And also we have, mashallah, an attorney present with us, so we'll be talking at the end uh, some of the legal issues. So this is a, a fiqhi discussion, fiqhi class regarding the rights of husbands and wife with, with a particular focus on divorce. And just to start out, I want to begin with, uh, just to put us in proper frame of mind, the ayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, Surah Baqarah, ayah 208. Rajim, Ya ayyuha O those who believe, enter into Islam completely, totally, wholly, fully. Kafatan. shaytan. And do not follow the footsteps of shaytan. Innahu lakum mubin. Verily, he is your open enemy. So, how is this related to our topic? It is because, unfortunately, what happens is that. Those of us who are not practicing the deen at all, we are not practicing the deen at all. But those of us who are practicing the deen to a certain extent, we are very much pleased with ourselves and complacent and we are happy if we correct our aqidah and if we focus on our ibadat, our worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But beyond that, we do not take the time to learn or care or practice and implement the ahkam and the injunctions of our sharia with respect to our mu'amalat, our dealings. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, enter into Islam completely, wholly, totally, kafatan, then this includes our aqaid, our beliefs. Yes, it is the most important. Salvation and najat itself is dependent upon having the correct aqidah. If a person does not have the correct belief, آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَرَسُلِهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ 
not believe in the seven articles of faith, then uh, then he's out of the equation. Najat and success in the year after salvation from the fire of Jahannam and entrance and admittance into Jannah is contingent upon having the correct belief in Aqidah. Undoubtedly a most, very important pillar of our deen. But at the same time it's not limited to that. By no means is Islam limited to having the correct Aqidah. Beyond that is Ibadat, worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Salat, Sawam, Zakat, Hajj, they all fall under Ibadat. And then Akhlaq, moral character, developing love for humanity, humbleness, love for the hereafter, developing the inner characteristics that are praiseworthy, that is a part of our deen. And then number four is Mu'amalat, which are dealings. And Nikah and Talaq fall under dealings. There are Mu'amala. In fact, the Nikah is considered Murakkab. It is a composition of both an Ibadah and a Mu'amala. It is a form of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well as a Mu'amala. That's why in the books of fiqh, traditional textbooks of fiqh, uh, the way the, of the order of the, of the chapters is that there are two ways. In some books of fiqh, they start with ibadat, tahara first, cleanliness, then salat, zakat, sum, hajj. And after all the ibadat are covered, then they cover mu'amalat, dealings. Like buying, selling, kitabul buyur, what is riba, what is interest, what is not interest. Renting, leasing, partnerships, power of attorney, all of these injunctions that are part of our fiqh, mu'amalat. And then after completing mu'amala, completing ibadat, completing mu'amalat, worship and dealings, both have been completed. Then at the end, they have that which is a composition of both, which is part ibadah, part worship, and part mu'amala, part worldly dealing. And what is that? Nikah. Nikah and talaq and all of the associated chapter headings. So first they do complete ibadat, then mu'amalat, and that which is a combination of both. The second way they do it is in other books of fiqh, they, they, first they have... Ibadat, then they have nikah and talaq, which is half ibadah, half mu'amala. And then they move as a bridge. And then after completing that discussion, then they move on towards pure mu'amala. So nikah is something which is uh, 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 in ibadah as well, it is a means of completing one's iman. A person who gets married, he completes half of his iman, let him fear Allah in the remaining half. It is a sunnah of the Anbiya alayhim wasalam wa laqad arsalna rusulam min qablik wa ja'alna lahum azwajan wa dhurriyah All the prophets were married besides Yahya and Isa alayhim wasalam and had children So it's a sunnah of the Anbiya not only of Nabi Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa but of all of the Anbiya and as a means of perfecting one's faith etc. It has a religious uh, significance and at the same time it has worldly repercussions It's a worldly mu'amala So and then mu'ashirat, interpersonal relations So what happens is that there are many mashallah people who are very punctual perhaps in their ibadah and they have the most beautiful correct aqidah but when it comes to mu'amalat then we take it very lightly since we have to go directly in the topic for if something is awarded by the court of law uh, there is a case Muslim family who is divorced and uh, the, the sister uh, uh, who is in this divorce case she actually makes um, uh, good money she has, uh, she has a good income and the man, the man who was married to her, now the ex-husband, through the court of law, uh, he is receiving $3,000 monthly from her. 
Uh, so then this, this masala was brought to me from the woman's side, of course, that uh, she has her own grievances against him, which led to the divorce to begin with. And then on top of that, he is demanding, he's, he's trying to get the custody of the minor children from her, and then, then the alimony will go up to $8,000 a month. So we have a man who is, potentially, he is currently getting $3,000 a month from his ex-wife and potentially will be receiving $8,000 a month. And if the court of law uh, passes this decree, then legally that is right now because the court of law passed it. But if it's passed legally, does that mean it is permissible for him shara'an from the sharia? For him to take that money? It's absolutely haram. It's not halal for anyone to take anyone's wealth with, without them being pleased in parting with that wealth and giving it to you. And she is saying that it is a torture for me every day when I go and I earn. When I know so many thousands of, this, of the dollars I'm earning every month, I have to give it to the person who was torturing me and was torturing my children and whatever the, her particular case was. So, just because something is passed by a court of law, now the court of law, they, they say... For, if you, know, if you are legal uh, age, it is, per, it is permissible for you to gamble. So does gambling become halal? It's permissible to buy and sell alcohol. Is that permi- halal in the sharia? Um, now, marriage itself is permissible between two males or two females. Recently, my own case is that I was... Uh, due to some insurance issue, I was changing my plan with Blue Cross Blue Shield. I called them and I gave all my biographical information, date of birth, social security number, this, that. And then they said, uh, your spouse name. And uh, I said, this is the, my spouse's name, spouse date of birth, etc. Who are your dependents under your insurance coverage? Then they asked me, male, that what is the gender of your spouse? Literally. What is the gender of your spouse? So I said, uh, are you serious? You know, yeah, it's, it's a legal question. But I didn't, have, I didn't go off and give a start a bayan on that with the lady. She's just doing her job. But what the point is, that this has now become a genuine, legitimate question. You can ask a male, what is the gender of your spouse? So this is the times we are living in. So people, uh, what is our concept is that our deen is limited to the masjid, four walls of the masjid. How to perform salah? You ask your scholar, fine. It's time for Hajj, let's go to a Hajj seminar. Learn how to perform Hajj. Learn how, you, learn how to perform Umrah. We're not going to ask other professionals or lawyers about how to But when it comes to marriage and divorce, who needs to ask a mufti? Who needs to ask a scholar? Let's go and get the most aggressive attorney with due respect to the attorney sitting here. And, and uh, let's gloves off and let's you know, roll up your sleeves and let's go and fight. Get the best thing we can. And get the best deal we can. Whether it's halal or haram is the last of our concerns. And the, the lawyers who are here, they'll testify to that as well. That this is the Muslim customers, it's the clients they deal with, this is what they're doing. No one is concerned about the sharia. This is like the nation of Shu'ayb salam. They were mocking Shu'ayb salam because their, the, the problem of Shu'ayb salam's qawm was besides shirk. Common denominator was shirk. But Different nations had different individual sins. So Qomulud, they're infamous for their sickness of uh, moral sickness that they were involved in, of homosexuality. But Qom of Shu'aib, their problem was in financial dealings. They were cheating. 
So when they mocked Shuaib al-Islam in a very sarcastic manner, which is repeated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, they said to him, أَصَلَاتُكَ تَأْمُرُكَ أَن نَتْرُكَ مَا يَعْبُدُ آبَاؤُنَا أَوْ أَن نَفْعَلَ فِي أَمْوَالِنَا مَا نَشَاءُ إِنَّكَ لَأَنْتَ الْحَلِيمُ الرَّشِيدُ Perhaps the salah that you're performing, so much salah, you're performing all the time, you see in sajda, ruku, qiyam, you're performing all this ibadah, oh shayb. This has made you mentally deranged and made you crazy. Your namaz, your salah has made you crazy. That you think you have the authority to advise us regarding our financial matters. Our money, we earn it, we spend it, it's up to us, it's our choice. What do you, you tell us how to pray man, you tell us how to worship Allah, that's fine. But why are you worried about our finances? This is the attitude of Qumi Shu'aib. Why are you worried about our finances? So likewise, all our mu'amalat, our deen has given us detailed guidelines. In fact, if you take like, Sharhu Bidayat al-Mubtadin, otherwise known as Al-Hidayah, a great book of fiqh, by Marghinani rahmatullahi it's four huge volumes and very, very concise text and full of meaning. In fact, he wrote a book, Bidayatul Mubtadi, uh, the introduction for a beginner. And the people started mocking him, say, What kind of book is this? It's so small, little pamphlet. Kifayatul Muntahi, that which will be sufficient for the one who wants to reach the depths. First one was Bidayatul Mubtadi, introduction for a Mubtadi, beginner. Then he wrote Kifayatul Muntahi. That which will be sufficient, kafi, sufficient for muntahi, the one who re- wants to go to the intiha, till the end. Uh, how long was it? 80 volumes. Single author. He wrote an 80 volume. All the entire details of fiqh, of all the madai, but all the opinions and all the, the dalail and counter dalail and evidences and counter arguments in 80 volumes. He penned himself. So then uh, people said, you need the, 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 age, uh, the age of Nuh alayhi umri Nuh. To be able to read this is too much. So then he summarized it, condensed it into four volumes. And it's called Al-Hidayah. And Hidayah, this, um, and that's why in the beginning of the introduction of Hidayah, he says, And the people, based on their level of interest, there are various options open for them. This is a, the translation of the poem. If somebody wants a very brief, you can read my one, one pamphlet, which is the introduction to fit. If somebody wants detail, can go to the 80 volumes. Somebody wants the middle path, these are four volumes. So in these four volumes, look at the ratio. One fourth, only the first volume has all of the ibadat. From tahara, salat, zakat, som, and hajj, and all the details is one volume. Three volumes on mu'amalat. Three fourths of the fiqh, roughly we could say, deals with mu'amalat, dealings. Only one fourth has to do with ibadat. So enough to say, enough to prove that mu'amalat are a very integral part of our deen, our sharia. We cannot be following the deen in, uh, entirely, completely, wholly if we do not learn about the fiqh of mu'amalat. The fiqh of ibadat, the state of the ummah is very, very bad. We are, there's ignorance at, uh, regarding the fiqh of ibadah. But the fiqh of mu'amalat, don't even ask. The fiqh of mu'amalat, there is massive ignorance at an epic, epidemic level in the ummah regarding the fiqh of mu'amalat. It's like the fiqh of ibadah, we don't know, but we know that we don't know it. We are aware, this jahal mufrad. We are aware that we are ignorant regarding fiqh of ibadah. I don't know how to do hajj in detail. 
I basically go there and do some, I'm, I don't know the detail of Hajj. I don't know the detail of how to calculate zakah. I don't know the detail of salah. What are the arkan of salah? What are wajibat of salah? What are the makruhat of salah? What are the nawaqis of salah? When do you do sajda so? When do you not do sajda so? I don't know. But I know that I don't know. When it comes to mu'amalat, we don't know and we are unaware of the fact that we don't know. The example of this is Surah Maryam. When Maryam salam was suffering from pangs of childbirth and delivery and she was overcome with so much shame. How am I going to go and face the people? And they're going to say that you are a chaste woman and you delivered a baby without a husband. How am I going to face them? So she was so much overcome with shame. Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Quran what she cried out. She said, Ya laytani mittu qabla hadha. Oh, I wish I died before this day. وَكُنْتُ نَسِيًا مَنْسِيًا And people would have forgotten about me and then they would have forgotten that they have forgotten about me. Double murakkab. For example, that means like one is you forgot where you placed your keys. But you know you forgot. That's why you're looking for them. One is you forget something and then you forget that you're forgetting it. So you're not even looking for it. You, know, you understand? So how are you going to find something that you forgot that you forgot about it? There's no chance of you finding it. That's the condition regarding the jahala of mu'amalat, fiqh mu'amalat. Okay, enough said on that. Let's go on, inshallah. Let us know that talab al-ilmi faridatun ala kulli muslimin. Acquiring knowledge is farther than every male and female muslim. There are different levels of fard. One is fard al-ayn, a personal obligation on every individual. One is fard al-kifaya, a communal obligation. Certain individuals in every community have to know and then the responsibility is uplifted from the rest of the community. Like Fard Salah, five times a day is Fard Ayn. Salat Al-Janazah is Fard Kifaya. If some people perform Salat Al-Janazah, the responsibility of the Janazah uplifted from the entire community. If no one performs Salat Al-Janazah, everyone will be sinful for not performing the Janazah. But when it comes to Salat, Fard Salah, someone cannot perform Salah on your behalf, you have to perform your own Salah. So that's the difference between Fard Ayn and Fard Kifaya. What about the fiqh of Nikah and Talaq? If a person is getting married, then they have to know it's fard ain if they are married to know the ahkam of nikah and talaq because that is something they're engaging in. It's not fard kifaya, it's become fard ain because they are in themselves engaged in nikah and talaq and marriage and they have to know what could eventually uh, terminate that marriage. Then, what are some obstacles? Shyness and pride. A person is too embarrassed, that's why he doesn't want to learn. Or a person is too arrogant, he thinks he knows, and that is why he doesn't want to learn. These are potential uh, block, uh, things that block and do not allow a person to progress in seeking knowledge. We, if we have to not have shyness when it comes to some of these issues, we have to be very explicit. And we should not be arrogant and think we are above learning. That will also become an impediment to seeking knowledge. As I said, this is some 250 slides about fiqh of marriage and divorce. No way we're going to relax. We're not going to do 250 slides. I'm going to jump now over the whole fiqh of marriage part. And I'm going to jump to slide 107 from and talk a little bit about the rights of spouses. This was, there's so many things that we covered in, uh, in, in the fiqh of nikah. Uh, that we, we might inshallah have another seminar on that. How does the nikah be enacted? What are the conditions for the validity of nikah? Who is it permissible to get married to? Who is it impermissible to get married to? What is the situation of the wali? Do you have to have the permission of the parents to get married? What is the mahar? What is the situation of mahar? What is the position of mahar in Islam? Lots of interesting things. Uh, contraception in Islam, nursing children in Islam, abortion in Islam, 
All those frequently asked questions were covered in the fiqh of, of marriage that we can take up another time. But now that we're talking about um, uh, the fiqh of divorce, one thing that keeps on coming up and becomes a, a reason for the dissolution is that their non-fulfillment of the rights or a perception of non-fulfillment of rights. So we have to have a clear concept, what are the rights of the husband guaranteed in the sharia and what are the rights of the wives. And to begin with, the concept of marriage in Islam is that it should not be focused on just rights. This is something that we go to and resort to in extreme circumstances. The concept in, of nikah is that it's based on love, muhabba, the spouses have for one another, musamaha, forgiveness, rahma, mercy. This is the foundation of a marriage, not on demanding each other's rights. That's the spirit of marriage. There is the letter of the law and there is the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is that we should have compassion and mercy for, uh, and, uh, and love for each other and try to reconcile our, each other's differences, try to negotiate. Everyone who is married here and has a successful marriage and the older they are in age, they will be able to testify better and have better experience that it's a, having a successful marriage is all about being a good negotiator, being able to compromise, knowing, know, knowing when to compromise, how to compromise. We have to have these basic skills. And we have to develop them and we have to train our youth to, do, to be able to uh, exhibit these beautiful qualities like Rasulullah had with his Azwaj al-Mutahharat. And this uh, false dream that's out there on the Hollywood screen, in the Bollywood screen, and Lollywood screen even more perhaps, of finding you know, your soulmate uh, that is 100% compatible there's Mr. Right out there, Miss Right out there. This is absolutely false. There is no person who is 100% compatible. That does not exist. That's a false idea. Sorry if I shattered your dream. Right. That's why all the psychologists, they say that a successful marriage is not the one in which you find the 100% compatible spouse. Because that 100% compatible spouse is a... Is a, it's something, a figment of your imagination. A hundred percent compatible spouse does not exist in the real world. In Jannah they will, inshallah, this spouse of the world will become the hundred percent compatible spouse in the Jannah. But not in this world. So a successful marriage is the one in which you learn how to successfully manage the incompatibilities. A successful marriage is the one in which we learn how to manage the how to successfully manage the incompatibilities, which will most definitely exist. Not to find someone who is 100% compatible to you. This is understood from the hadith of Rasulullah as well. As we will see. Let me just go. The spirit of the sharia is that Allah has created man to worship him. I have created the human beings to worship me. And the most important worship in ibadah is salah. Yet there's, we find the entire Qur'an there we do not find the details of how to perform salah. In fact, those who are munkir of hadith, reject the hadith, this is one of the evidences we prove for the validity of hadith, is that salah itself, can you prove it from the Qur'an? From the qiyam, from, uh, from takbir al-tahrim until salam, how to perform the salah, the description in the Qur'an. You cannot find the detailed description in the Qur'an. Despite the fact that it is the primary purpose of our existence, is not described in the Qur'an. However, in Surah Al-Nisa, in Surah Al-Nur, Surah Al-Ahzab, all of the details of nikah and talaq are mentioned in the Qur'an. This shows 
that the rights are mentioned in the Quran, the responsibilities of the husband and wife are mentioned in the Quran. This shows the great importance of mu'amalat in dealings. That the details are in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala did not even leave it for the hadith to explain. The Sharia mentions how we should treat believers, non-believers, family, friends, neighbors, even animals, insects, plants, and grass, environment. And each one of these are in a separate seminar on its own. The rights of animals in Islam, the rights of insects, you can have one and a half hour on the rights of insects in Islam. Plants and grass. We can talk about two hours about the rights of plants, each one of them, in our deen. There's so much detail that is there, really. So spouses are at the top of the list. Starting point is to realize that we should treat them better than almost everyone else because of the intimate relationship and special place with one another. If there's a breach of rights with regards to the spouse, it is very severe. The impact will be lifelong, starts immediate and can last entire life and will affect the community, affect the society, affect the kids. And the family will be strong, the community will be strong, the society will be strong. It is a cornerstone of society. If the family breaks up, then the entire society goes down the drain. The Sharia focuses on the letter of the law while mentioning the spirit of the law. The letter of the law, the, the you know, clear-cut injunctions, this is your right, this is not your right. This is not the objective. Only to resort to at the time of extreme conditions. Um, because it's only supposed to help taking something subjective and give it an objective side. What does that mean? Is that you, husband and wife love each other, be kind to each other. This is subjective. What does it mean that I love her? Is, am I responsible to provide A, B, C, D to my wife? The wife will ask, am I responsible to provide X, Y, Z to my husband? Does he have the right to force me to do this or not? These are objective questions. So something which is subjective, that be kind, be nice, be merciful, be loving, you want to make it objective. You have to say yes or no, right or wrong. That's what the rules come in. To facilitate dealing with extreme situations. So, this is just a disclaimer before we go on the rules. The rights are mentioned so those around us can recognize and act upon them. So we can please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we know that we are not lagging behind in fulfilling the rights. The purpose of mentioning the rights are not that we can demand them in every situation. Oh, I learned my rights, now I'm going to demand them. If the entire foundation of the marriage is on, I have to get my rights, then this is, we can write it down, doomed to failure. Right? In general, we can keep this hadith in front of us, that None of you can be a true believer until you love for your brother or sister that which you love for yourself. You want some happiness for yourself, you should desire happiness for your spouse. So this hadith is about strangers, what about spouses? And important to understand that men and women are different. And... Rasulullah mentioned in the hadith, one of the most uh, misquoted hadith, misunderstood hadith, that treat women well because they were created from the rib. And if you and the ribs are curved, and if you try to straighten it, then you will break it. In Dhabta Tuqimuha, if you go to try to correct it, straighten it per your perspective. You will break it. And the breaking of the rib is the talaq, divorce. So what happens is that people misunderstood, misunderstand this hadith and they say that women are crooked by nature. Why? Because the Prophet said so. How did he say so? He said the women are made from the rib. He never said she is crooked. He said that she is made from the rib. But look, my dear brothers, 
if the, 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 the purpose of the rib is to protect the rib, it's called the rib cage in anatomy, right? The rib cage. The rib cage is, protects the integral organs, it protects the heart and the lungs. If the rib was straight, what would happen? It would not fulfill its role, it would not fulfill its job. It would be sticking out and protruding from the chest, in the front and the back. The purpose of hadith, hadith is to say that if you would, uh, as a male, your perception and your way of approving, uh, approaching matters in life, if you could represent that by a straight line, then, you can, then the woman's approach and a way of understanding things can be represented by a beautiful arch, a curved line. Like this arch, I'm sitting under an arch incidentally right now. The beauty of this arch is in its curvature. And mashallah in this masjid, there's so many arches everywhere around us. So just take a, keep awake as well. Look up, look right, left, look around. You see all the arches? That's the beauty of the arch that is curved. If you, if you straighten it out, or if you have 90 degree uh, corners, then it will become a rectangle. The arch window is more expensive than the rectangle window. You know that, right? Rectangular window is off the shelf. It's very cheap. This arch one is the more expensive one. So the beauty of the arch is in its curvature. Rasulullah is saying that basically the purpose of hadith is that she is different than you. And if you can't understand that and accept that, and then you're going to try to make her just like you, she, you know, make her um, approach things and understand things and behave exactly the way you behave, and you try to straighten it out, you're trying to straighten out something which is supposed to remain curved, then you're going to break it. If you end up breaking it, then that will be the termination of the marriage. Na'udhu May Allah protect us. Like men are from Mars, you know, women are from Venus, as they say, they're from different planets. They approach things differently. That's what the hadith is trying to mention. Not to say that she's crooked, she's faulty. Spouses are meant to help better one another, not meant to, uh, to be someone we turn into a mini-me. You don't try to make your wife or your husband just like yourself. A beauty of a rib is bent, I mentioned that. It gives protection because of its curvature. If you straighten the rib, it's not effective. So our job is to keep it in its natural position. Don't try to fix it to suit our needs. By trying to fix them, quote-unquote fix them, fix women, men can, may actually ruin them and manifest their own arrogance. If a person breaks his rib, what happens? Every breath becomes extremely painful. That's why people who are suffering from marital problems, they feel suffocated. It affects everything in their lives. One of, so there are multiple interpretations of why the Prophet ﷺ gave the metaphor and the simile or the example of women being like ribs. Another is that they curve inward. In women, their nature is they incline and that they protect and they're loyal. They, they protect their children and their family, their husband. And that is why Allah rewards them for their services. We should focus on the good. Rasulullah said, if you dislike your wife, there may be something in there that you might like. If you dislike something, Allah says in the Quran, there might be something beautiful that you're overlooking. Try to think positively. If you have good opinions with Allah, Allah will make it so. As someone you know, gave the beautiful advice, do not marry the woman you love. What you'll be what? Do not marry the woman you love. Then you, you're shocked. What is he saying there? Why not? Because that's all false image. That's in the courting stage. It's not real. Do not marry the woman you love. Love the woman you marry. 
The one you married, love her. Turn it around. Do not marry the woman you love, rather, love the woman you marry. So this should be done for every Muslim. We should have good thoughts about every Muslim, so why not about the spouse? Um, we need to separate the essence of a person from their actions. Some action might displease you, might make you upset, but look at the overall goodness in the person. Even with non-Muslims. With the, with the, uh, when we go to the store, we say thank you to the checkout clerk, but we fail to thank our wives or husbands at home. We don't thank our wives, we don't thank our husbands. This is one of the major sins that Rasulullah mentioned about women, why he saw them in the fire of Jahannam. He said, Tukthirun al the woman that they excessively curse, this is a sin of the, of the woman in particular, and they are ungrateful to their husbands. And, and when she is upset, she will say, Lam ara min khayran qattu. These are the words of Rasulullah. When the woman gets upset, she will say, Since I came to your home, I never saw one good thing. Khayran qattu. I never saw a good thing. So that means she just completely erased years of kindness and fulfilling of rights. So this is not beloved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So come the, now coming to the actual rights, common rights of the spouses is that they have right to intimacy. There is no set limit, whatever is necessary to maintain chastity. This is more on the side of the response, uh, for the male and also for the female. They have the right to intimacy. This is such a right can only be fulfilled by the spouse. If the spouse is not fulfilling this right, then where else will the spouse go? They will go towards haram. Responsibility towards children both for the mothers and the fathers. As the child ages, and then the responsibility of the father increases because he has to take care of the education of the children. Right to inherit from each other in established lineage. Rights of the wife in particular are good treatment. Um, and forgiveness of the husband should learn to forgive and forget. Especially if it's own rights. If it's the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala she violates, he has to learn how to, with wisdom, bring her back onto following the rights of Allah, fulfilling the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Save yourselves and your family from the fire of Jahannam. You should have companionship with your wife. Nabi Sallallahu would have play and have fun with Aisha Siddiqah and his other wives. What did the Prophet do at home? He used to help his family, aid in the household work. But when he would hear the Adhan, he would become a stranger. That's the balance. Aisha Siddiqah said, as if he doesn't even know who we are anymore. See, that's the balance. The fact that he's spending time with the family, helping them, but does not mean that he forgets Allah then. So either we completely, ignorant about our, uh, 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 we completely ignore our wives, or, then we, or we completely are so much in service of the family that we ignore the rights of Allah. So she says that he was so involved with the family, but when the adhan would be called out, then he would become like a stranger and like he doesn't know anyone, and he would proceed to perform salah. Appreciate each, uh, the, uh, each other. So as Rasulullah mentioned in the hadith that is quoted there, you can see. And then of course the responsibility of the husband is financial support, nafaqah. They have to spend this responsibility. No matter if you married a millionaire and you are a, a, a laborer, you have to labor to go and provide for her. If she wants to help with her fortune in the family expenses, that is up to her. She'll be rewarded for helping out. It's not that she will be sinful or discouraged to. In fact, she will be encouraged to help out. But it's not her responsibility. It is the responsibility of the male, of the husband. Because he's the amir, as we're going to come to it too. He has rights. He is the head of the household. The wife is the heart of the household. So if he wants to be the head of the household, he has to fulfill his, his part of the job too. His job is to earn 
That's there in the Sharia. It says the husband must earn. We have examples of, as I mentioned in the beginning, after divorce, taking money from the ex-wife. Na'udhu billah min zari. The woman should not unnecessarily add financial burden more than the husband can bear. I don't like this furniture. We need to get rid of it and get new furniture. We need new carpets. We need new curtains. Hopefully we are not laughing because we experienced that. But this happens. So we should not put additional financial burden on the husband. She has the right to a separate residence though. Or in a shared residence if they're joint living, then she has the right to her own room and bathroom and kitchen. This is the law. Right. Again, whatever they work out among themselves, as I already said in the beginning, that's great. If, if they come and they're fighting, and then you want to go and look at the books, then the books state that she has the right to her own room, and bathroom, and kitchen. If there's like a walkout basement, shara'an that would fulfill the right with a little kitchenette. It does not mean that she, uh, she has the right. If the husband can provide more, he should. But he's fulfilled her right if he has, even within a house, separate accommodation. If he says this room is, uh, you know, for certain hours of the day for us and otherwise, other people have access to the room, in-laws, brother-in-laws, sister-in-laws, other family members, then that's, no, that's not permissible. She has the right to have some area where she can keep her belongings without uh, the intrusion of other family members. With all due respect to those family members, and we love them too, but she deserves that right to that much privacy. She has the right to her mahar that has to be given at the time of nikah. She has the right that we teach her Islam. As the father is responsible to teach the children, he's responsible to teach his wife and uh, allow her to go learn the deen of Islam. Not put hurdles, but rather encourage her to learn the deen. And allow her to visit her parents if they're nearby. The Sharia says uh, once a week. Uh, if there's no further expenses incurred in, that tra- in traveling. And other family members once a year. This is the minimum. This is, I said, the rule. But it can be more or less. Be- Beyond this, the husband has the right to limit the wife. Um, it's best that he doesn't facilitate regular contact unless the environment and the in-laws is un-Islamic and is having a negative effect on the wife and children. Then he can try to limit that negative impact. So this is the rights of the husband now. Quickly, you say, you'll say, what about us? What about the males? Well, the males have some rights too. That we have to accept the male as a husband, as the Amir of the house, nisa. We have to accept this sincerely, not just lip service. But the husband, if he's the Amir of the house, if he's the ruler of the house, doesn't mean he has to be a hard-fisted dictator. It means that he should be a benevolent leader. And everyone should accept that. And he has to earn that respect. The greatest psychological need of a woman in marriage is love. The greatest psychological need of a male in a marriage is respect. This is what the psychologists say. So if he wants respect from his wife, then he has to earn that respect. Even the in-laws should respect his wife's family should respect the fact that he is the head of the household. And guess what? The ball is in your court before you agree to the marriage. So when you are doing, you should do due diligence before you give your daughter in marriage to someone. As a criteria when considering a proposal, meaning you should know that when I give my daughter in marriage to this guy, he will be the head of the house. If you don't want him to be the head of your daughter's life, then don't give your daughter in marriage to such a person. Right? Only when you know that he will be the Amir of the house, then give your daughter in marriage to such a man. Consider, will he be a good head of household? Yes or no? And if you do not respect the father, do not respect the husband, then the family unit will always be deficient. 
And sometimes the husband through his own actions loses respect. But the wife should try her best to respect the husband in front of the children, respect the father. Remember the hadith of Rasulullah that if anyone would be permitted to prostrate to anyone, the wife would be commanded to prostrate to the husband. That tells a lot. The leader of a nation is their khadim on the other extreme. Sayyid al-Qawmi khadimuhum. If he's a leader, he should be the servant of the family, take care of the family. And the wife should listen to the husband, obey the husband, provided he does not contradict the sharia. If he says, take that hijab off, then she'll say that I owe, I owe allegiance to Allah first. Serve food and come and see all my friends, come in front of them. And I want you to look pretty for my friends. Then she will say, no, I owe my allegiance to Allah first. Right? Provided it does not contradict anything in the sharia. There is no obedience to any creation that incurs disobedience to the Creator. The hadith of Rasulullah in Tirmidhi, every woman who passes away when her husband is pleased with her will enter Jannah. A woman who prays her five times salah, fast Ramadan, safeguards her chastity, obeys her husband, Allah will say on the day of judgment, enter Jannah, whatever door you want to. So these hadiths are Islamically correct, may not be politically correct. But who cares about being politically correct, right? We have to be Islamically correct in this day and age of feminism. So the rights, uh, intimate relations, rights, both spouses have it, but uh, it's emphasized more with regard to the husband. Rasulullah said, when a husband calls a wife to, his, to the bed, she should, and if she refuses, then she will be cursed. Of course, if she has, if she's sick, she has a headache, or she has valid excuse, those are exemptions. These are without any reason, without any valid legitimate reason, if she refuses the husband, that is a major sin. And Rasulullah said that she should uh, respond to his call, walaw ala tannur, even though she's at the stove, as it translated in Tirmizi. And what's beautiful about this hadith is it tells a lot. Walaw ala tannur. What does tannur mean? Tannur is the oven. The clay oven in which they do what? Bake bread. So why did the Prophet say that she should respond to the call even if she's on the tannur? He didn't even say walaw fil matbakh. If, if he said walaw fil matbakh means even if she was in the kitchen. But he didn't say even if she's in the kitchen. He said walaw ala tannur even if she's at the tannur baking the bread. So I'm looking at men here, maybe you guys don't know, but or you have some experience that about baking bread. What is, a, what is a very significant about baking bread? It's a time-sensitive exercise. It's very time-sensitive. Why is it time-sensitive? Because if you leave the bread in the tanur, what's going to happen? It's going to burn. So this is the meaning of the hadith. That allow the bread to burn, the house to burn down. <laughs> no, don't, uh, it, it, it means that even if you are engaged in such a time-sensitive thing as, as baking bread, shut the tanur off before you go. Well, but it means leave it. Subhanallah. So this is the... Uh, so then you want... Then you know, if, if all of these actions are... Then, uh, then all the haram avenues would be, will go out of business. Some, some neighbors will go out of business. If these halal, if the halal way is fulfilled. Looking after the husband's wealth and possessions in the absence. Not making khianat, not stealing the husband's property and wealth when he's not there. Etc. Refrain from leaving the house without permission. If a husband says, do not go to a certain place, then it's not permissible for the wife to go to that place. This is the right. Doesn't mean the husband should unnecessarily restrict her. He should trust in her chastity that she will be loyal to him and not become micromanaging, but he does have that right. Even nafal fasting, she should not f- engage in nafal fast without the permission of the husband. Why? Because it will interfere with the rights of the husband in fulfillment of his physical needs. Therefore, she needs to take permission from her husband to have a nafal fast. 
This is in Sahih Bukhari. When we have marital problems, unfortunately, many times people just turn to friends. And in these friends, they might give good advice, they might give bad advice. In Arabic, they say that make sure the person you take advice from has two qualities and they come up with two rhyming words. They say he is Habib and Labib. Make sure the person that is giving you advice is Habib, truly loves you and will give you the best advice because they love you. And number two is Labib. Labib means intelligent, wise, they understand, have understanding. Because if one of the two qualities are missing, then you're in a problem. If somebody is really wise and intelligent, but they don't have your best interests at, at, uh, at heart, they will intentionally misguide you. And on the other hand, if a person loves you, but they do not have knowledge, nadan dost is khatarnak, right? It's very, very dangerous. A person who loves you, but doesn't have knowledge, he will attack you in a way and hurt you in a way that you never imagined. You can't even protect yourself from him. So that is why, make sure that a person you seek advice from is, has knowledge and loves you. And if a man turns another, uh, if a person turns a wife against a husband or turns a, a, a spouse against a spouse, is laysa minna, is not amongst us. So these are some issues regarding uh, the rights of the spouses. Now, We want to jump ahead and uh, actually, so why did we talk about the rights of spouses? Because the non-fulfillment of rights leads to marital discord and can eventually lead to uh, people going for separation. What's the first step? The first step, if, if they are, uh, rights are not being fulfilled, people are not happy and satisfied, fulfilled in their marriage, then they should try counseling. There are many different places, many ulama who are there, many psychologists who are there. In our community now, we have professionals, we have Khalil Center just down the street where there are Muslim professionals, PhDs in psychology, brothers and sisters as well. They offer marital counseling. We should not be shy to get marital counseling. They can work things out. Talk to the elders in the family. فَبَعَثُوا حَكَمًا مِنْ أَهْلِهِ وَحَكَمًا مِنْ أَهْلِهَا Then have some uh, people from the girl's family, some people from the men's family come together and talk and see if they can resolve the matter. Allah Ta'ala says, إِنْ يُرِيدَ إِصْلَاحًا If they truly, genuinely, sincerely want to reconcile, يُوَفِّقِ اللَّهُ بَيْنَهُمَا Allah will give them tawfiq to do so. But if they don't have sincere intention to reconcile, then they will never be able to reconcile. No one will be able to make them reconcile. If all of those things go through and they're continuing fighting, 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 making life difficult, then we have to understand our deen is a very practical deen. Our deen is very, very practical. He knows that Allah, our creator, knows that not all the time we will make the correct choices and we will end up marrying people that are not compatible. And beyond not being compatible, might be cruel and we are violating rights. So in those circumstances, since our deen is very practical, it, has, it gives us last solution, is this amicable separation, otherwise known as talaq, divorce. And the example the scholars give is like, if you have some different pain, if you have some uh, physical pain, you go to the doctor, the first thing he won't say that, okay, I'm gonna take you to, put you under general anesthesia and let's take out our knives and cut you up, put you on the table, under the knife, no. First he will try, uh, medication, try physical therapy, try different therapy, see if it can be controlled. But as a last resort, with all the risks associated with it, finally sometimes you have to go under the knife. You have to get the, the limb amputated. You have to cut it off a part of your own body. Why? Because uh, the disease is spreading to everything, the uh, rest of your body. If you don't cut it off, if you don't get surgery, if you don't remove the tumor, then life itself is at stake. So as a last resort, we go towards divorce. Likewise, if families are 
the ideal is that they reconcile, they resolve their dispute. But if the husband and wife are going to continue fighting, fighting, fighting every day, every night, every morning, every evening, then this is a not healthy environment for children to grow up in. And our deen recognizes that this is harming the children more. If they have an amicable separation and they're happy and then they end up getting remarried to different people or not remarrying, that's up to them in their situation in life. At least if they're happy, the father and mother are happy, even if they're separate, this is not ideal for the children, but it's better for the children and they have better chances of, of upbringing according to the sharia. That's why as a last resort, there is salah. Abghadul mubahat. Abghad is a superlative degree. The most disliked of that which is permissible. So it tells us two things. It tells us it is permissible, but it tells us most disliked. Some conservative societies, Indo-Pak background for example, there are scenarios where the, the, they, say they consider it haram. So there's both extremes. There are those who, for the slightest excuse, there's, there's too much salt in the food, I don't like how you cook, I don't like how you dress, or I don't like your voice, or I don't like this, I divorce you. Na'udhu billahi But the other extreme is, if the wife is committing infidelity, or she's doing something haram, the wife is not loyal to in the marriage. And uh, if, the, if the husband goes to the in-laws and talks to them, and he says that this is the reason, that's why I'm going to go for divorce, they'll say that, uh, Why don't you beat her up? You should beat her up, but don't divorce her. Don't send her back. We married you, we married this girl after you, it's your responsibility till death. So they're telling the son-in-law, beat her up, but don't give talaq. Why? Talaq is haram. Beating up is permissible. Na'udhu billah. Reversing it. In aqasat al-qadiyya. Al-aqsu huwa sahih. It's opposite. Beating up a wife is not permissible. But divorcing her in extreme scenario is not only permissible, it might even be recommended if she's, come, if she's actively engaging in haram. You understand my point? So that is another extreme. So people treat divorce as haram or they're taking too lightly. What is the correct position? It is the last resort and it is permissible. Talaq linguistically means to untie. Aqd is to tie. Aqdun nikah is to tie the knot. Talaq is to untie the knot. Removal of the marital bond. Using specific words. Okay, so to begin with, from the get-go, everyone should be aware of this. Popular culture, people do know this in, uh, in Muslim culture. People do know that the responsibility uh, of terminating the marriage is given to the head of the household. The head of the household, as we already covered, is the father, is the husband. So that means that if he comes to the decision coolly that this marriage is not going to be in the best interest for our dunya or in the akhirah for our family, for our children, then he has to come, when he comes to the decision, then he has the right to end the marriage through talaq. And he has to take this very, very seriously. Because Rasulullah has said, There are three such matters that now we're entering the actual fiqh of talaq from here on. So it's going to become technical. So heads up, pay attention, full, be alert. So what happens now is that uh, if he says these words, the words of talaq, it's very, very important for all the males to pay attention. If he says them intending divorce, or he says them without intending divorce, in both circumstances, it will be effective in, give, in initiating a talaq. The nature of these words are that we should not use these words. These words are specifically been devised to denote a meaning of separation. The word talaq in Arabic, or the word divorce in English. It doesn't, it's not limited to Arabic. So if a man says to his wife, I divorce you, haha, ha, I was just joking. Does not, it's not a joking matter. He cannot give, if he says, I divorce you, I have divorced you, 
with the exception of t educational con uh, uh, environment that we are in. So th none of these words will have effect on my marriage right now, for example, because I'm in the context of education. So if a man, so all of these statements are, whether I articulated or not, are qualified by as an example. So they have no bearing on my marital status. You understand? So whether I physically, uh, if I verbalize the, the qualification or I don't, it's inherently understood that I'm giving a, a conditional statement. That if a man says to his wife, I divorce you, then it will be a talaq. If he intends it, it will be. If he does not intend it, it won't. If he's because this word only has one meaning. You'll say, I did not mean it. The intention is not relevant. Has absolutely no relevance. In these words, Rasulullah said, An-Nikah wa talaq wa al-Itaq. And when you An-Nikah wa talaq wa raja That in, in Nikah, Nakahtuha, Qabiltuha, I marry her, I accepted her. Or in Talaq, or in Itaq, when a man frees his slave. Or if he says, Antahurun, you're free. He says, No, I was joking. The slave will become free. Uh, slavery is not present anymore. Whatever slavery is occurring in, uh, in other lands, the so-called IS slavery is haram. IS is not an Islamic state. IS is an un-Islamic state. And their slavery is un-Islamic slavery. So there is no slavery today in the world. Uh, so, so that slavery is not significant anymore. But raja'a. Raja'a is when a man takes his wife back. We'll come to it quickly, inshallah. Raja'a is taking a back, woman who is divorced back into the nikah. Even then, if he says it, it, it will be effective. Whether he intends it or not. So there are... Uh, someone will say, then what about my intention? As a man, my intention doesn't have any effect. Yes, it does. It has a limited effect. Because there are two types of world, words. Two types of words. Broadly, we can categorize the words which effectuate divorce into two categories. One are those words which are called alfaz sariha, explicit words. And one are called alfaz kinaya, ambiguous words. When it comes to explicit words, those words have specific meanings in the dictionary. When you use an explicit word, sarih word, explicit word, your intention is of no relevance. So if a man says, I divorced you, any language, it will be a divorce. Effective immediately. You can't say, I intended this, I intended that. I was practicing my tajweed, right? We come to that. There's actually, that comes in the slide. So, qalqala, qalaqa. Or ta, makhraj of ta. So, so then, if he is, so the intention is of no relevance when he uses a specific, a specific, sarih word, explicit word. But then there are ambiguous words. What are ambiguous words? Ambiguous words are words that could mean termination of marriage and could mean something else. For example, in the textbook example, it's il haqibi ahliki. Go and live with your family. Or ukhruji, get out. So, what does this word mean? Then you will ask him your his intention. Does he mean go and have enjoy the vacation with the kids and your family? Or does he mean return to your family forever and get out of my life and you're not married to me anymore? What does it mean? You have to ask him his intention. If he, if he says, Ukhruji, leave, does he mean leave my life? Or does he mean leave me alone for a little while so I can finish the project that's due at work? What does he mean? Then you will ask the intention. So these are two different types of words. Explicit words and ambiguous words. If a person has decided he has to terminate the marriage, which types of words should he use? Explicit or temporary or, or ambiguous? The correct way is to use explicit word in a controlled environment. 
as we will come to. He should, if he is, the, the sunnah way, the correct way is that when a woman is not pregnant, because that will elongate her idda. When she is not ha'illa in hayyad, in menstruation on her period, which is that she is haram for her husband to have relations with and he might have some other frustration. She is pure tahira. And in that period of purity, he had no relations with her. Not that he just had physical relations with her and then divorces her. That means she is halal for him and yet he is not availing of that halal physical relationship. Then he gives her one talaq. Any other way would be sinful. Meaning giving talaq when she's on her period. Giving talaq when she's pregnant. Giving talaq after having relations. Giving two talaqs at the same time. Giving three talaqs at the same time. All of them are effective but prohibited. Rasulullah prohibited, forbade. Do not give talaq to a woman when she's on her period. So this is a big problem. People do not understand the difference between prohibition and negation. Prohibition is different, negation is different. One is nafi, one is nahi. One is don't do it, one is it won't happen. For example, a person is blind. He cannot see. Would it make sense for me to prohibit him and say, do not look at haram, do not gaze at unlawfully at women that are strangers to you. Would it make sense for me to prohibit him? No. Why would I not prohibit him? Because he cannot see anyway. If he cannot see, why am I prohibiting him from seeing? A person who can see, you will tell him, don't look at haram. Right? What will we do with regard to a blind person? We will negate his vision. We will say, you cannot see. We will make nafi of his basara. He cannot see. We will not nahi. We will not prohibit him. We will not say, don't look at haram. We will say, you cannot look at haram. You understand the difference? One is, you cannot do it. One is, don't do it. So Rasulullah said, do not give talaq to a woman when she's on her hayd. When she's on her, what does that mean? Did he negate it or did he prohibit it? He prohibited it. He forbade it. He said, don't do it. He didn't negate it. That means that if a man goes ahead and does give talaq to the woman when she's on her hayd, will it be effective? Yes. That's why he's saying, don't do it. You understand? You have to think about it a little bit. If you, if, that's why I give the example of the blind person. If a man gives talaq to his wife when she's on hayd and, and when she's in, uh, impure in her days of impurity and it's not going to be effective anyway, then why is he saying don't do it? It's like saying don't give talaq to a strange woman. How can you give talaq to a strange woman who's not married to you? Can you give talaq to a stranger? You cannot give talaq to a stranger because she's not married to you. So likewise Rasulullah, that doesn't make sense. You prohibit something that's possible. If it's impossible, you don't prohibit it. What do you do? You, you negate it. Uh, I will say, for example, um, uh, the door is overhanging door. It's very low. Watch your head because it's, it's a low stoop there. You might hit your head because it's possible. I won't say when you go outside, make sure your head doesn't crash into the moon. You're not going to hit the moon. The moon is very high above in the sky, right? So Rasulullah because what happens, people don't understand the difference between negation and prohibition. If Rasulullah said, don't do something, that means if you go ahead and do it, it's going to happen. That's why he's telling you, don't do it. So uh, many times cases come, the, the women come to the mufti and come to us and say that, mufti, my, my, uh, my, my talaq is not valid because I was on my period when my husband gave me talaq. And the Prophet said, don't give talaq to your woman when she's on her period. Therefore, my talaq is not valid. Yes, it is valid. 
What he did was sinful. What he did was sinful. He did a prohibited act. But the Prophet is prohibiting it. This is not the only dalil. There are other dalil too. Like Ibn Umar, he ended up giving talaq to his wife when she was on, when she was on her period. Rasulullah told Umar, Mur ibnaka Tell your son to take her back. Because what he did is wrong. And then give her divorce when she's pure. When do you take something back? When it has left your possession. If she continued to remain his wife, and if the talaq issued when she was in her period was not effective, then there's no point of taking her back. Do you follow? But, and there are other dalail, evidences. But what I'm trying to bring, my, my point I'm saying, is that the prohibition itself is an evidence that if you go against the prohibition, it will be effective. That is the only way to make sense of the prohibition. Otherwise, the prohibition itself is nonsensical, has no benefit. Like Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, لَا تُصُومُ هَذِي الْأَيَّامِ Do not fast on these days, five days in the year. Eid al-Fitr, Eid al-Adha, and three days after Eid al-Adha. That means if a person fasts on those days, it will be a fast. The Prophet Sallallahu would not say, do not fast from Maghrib till Fajr. Do not fast at night. He will not prohibit that. He will negate it, that there is no fast at night. You understand? There is no fast versus don't fast. Don't fast means if you go ahead and violate the order, then... It's something will happen. That's the purpose of the prohibition. So what I was trying to say before we go in the slides is that there are two types of words. One is a explicit word. Intention is not, has nothing to do with it. And number two is ambiguous words. Then you will ask what is the intention. And who has a responsibility of this? The husband. What about the wife then? We'll come to that. Khula and fast of nikah. So using specific words. Um, divorce is permissible It's the most disliked of that which is permissible Some situation It's mustahab Some situations it could be wajib You can read those If the husband is not changing his behavior And is oppressing the wife He's oppressing the wife and he doesn't want to stop oppressing Then we'll call him in, we'll talk to him We'll say that, stop doing dhulm He says no I'm not, I'm going to continue beating her up I'm not going to change my way I'm not going to become a better husband He doesn't want to become, he doesn't want to listen at that situation, if he's not going to change, it's wajib upon him to let her go. So talaq can actually be wajib. It's, it's, it's mandatory he must let her go at that point. So it can range from being permissible to mustahab all the way to being wajib. Should be done in the best way. Um, so a free woman has any three, uh, has to, up to three divorces. First divorce, second divorce, third divorce. When they have all been used up, the divorce will become absolutely final. Before all three are used up, the couple can reconcile. Number one biggest misunderstanding in 99.99% of the ummah is that they all think that if you have to give talaq, you have to give three talaqs. Otherwise, it doesn't count. This is, causes a huge problem for many couples who, do, who say things in anger. As I already discovered, when you use explicit words, intention is irrelevant. So a man, he's angry, temporarily angry, and then what happens? He says, Anti talik, talik, talik. Or he says that I give you three divorces. Or he says, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Three times. Why? Because he just heard from popular culture that when a divorce is given, it has to be three times. This is the wrong thing to do. This is prohibited. You're not a man who, for example, in the worst case scenario, his wife has committed infidelity and continues to commit infidelity and doesn't make toba. He's never wanting to get back to her again. Still, he should not give three divorces together. 
You're not supposed to do that. That destroys the whole philosophy of how the system is set up. Let's understand how the system is set up. The setup, the way it's supposed to be done, is that only one talaq is supposed to be given. And that using an ex- explicit word. This talaq, the technical term is called raj'i. Is talaq raj'i. Raj'i means it's revocable. He can take her back. Then there is a cool-off period. This cool-off period is known as idda. For menstruating women, it's three monthly cycles. Non-menstruating women who's, uh, uh, would be three months. In this cooling-off period, there's an opportunity for him to reflect what did, he lo- what did he lose. Many times what happens is when we lose a blessing, then we realize the value of that blessing. Oh, she was good after all, and she, was, she actually made my life so nice. Whatever the case may be, he starts thinking about her. Cooling-off period. Then he can take her back. He only gave one divorce, right? So there's an opportunity to get back together again. What is that called? It's called raja'ah. He takes her back. In the idda, he takes her back. And he has the right to unilaterally take her back. What does that mean? By himself. He can say, Raja'atuki, I take you back. I take you back in my nikah. Or physically, by verbally uttering these words, or physically, by having relations with her, physical relations. He takes her back in, her, in his nikah. Say he doesn't do that. He doesn't verbally take her back. He doesn't physically take her back. The idda passes. He provided for her during her idda. Now after the idda passes, she is now separated. She is now separated. Up till now, she was living in the same house. She could beautify herself. In fact, if she wants to make the marriage work, she, it's recommended she adorns herself, beautifies herself, puts makeup on, would be even nicer if she wants the husband back. If she doesn't want the husband back, if she's, then she continue to pray that he doesn't take her back. <laughs> but whatever the case is that the raja, uh, the idda passed. If the idda passed, now she is separated. This is called ba'ina. She's separated. But at a lesser degree, mukhaffafa. Ba'ina, separated, mukhaffafa, lighter. What happens now? Now what happens is that, can they get back together again? Yes. But the situation is different because idda is over. He can't just say, I took you back and it's done. No. They have to make a new nikah. A nikah jadid. Some people say, oh, new nikah means new wedding card, hall, Invite everyone. No, no, no. New, that wasn't the response. That's what the khutbah today was about. Simplicity in nikah. New nikah means you need two witnesses. You need offer and acceptance. You don't have to invite the entire community and say, actually, we had one talaq and now we're getting back together. Don't. Don't talk about it. Don't tell everyone. Don't post it on your Facebook. So keep it private. All you do is two witnesses offer that I, ta- I take you as my husband. Uh, I, want, uh, I take you as my lawfully wedded wife. Do you accept me as, your husband, uh, as a husband? And, and then she said, yes, I accept you as my husband. You offer an acceptance. Ijab and Qubul, two witnesses, the nikah is done. Oh yes, mahar too. He has to give him mahar. Now it's up to her how much he demands. <laughs> they can get remarried again. So the Sharia says, you thought about it. It was a bad idea. Now you cool down. You took her back. Now you're living together. Living together, enjoying life. They go on a second honeymoon. Then what happens? They start fighting. Unfortunately, fighting, 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 fighting so much, they're not getting along. Eventually, he gives a second talaq. Again, the whole process. Cooling down period number two. And that's iddat period number two. Three months. He can think about it. Oh, what did I do? I shouldn't have done it. Uh, and he can again take her back during the iddah. 
Say he does not take her back. Idda passes. She is ba'ina, separated. Mukhaffafa, light separation. They can still get back. What do they need to do? Again, you have to have wedding cards and wedding hall and everything. You have to have a new nikah. Second, this is not second nikah. What is it now? Third nikah, right? Two talaqs, third nikah. So then they got back together again. So this is uh, this talaq is just like baseball. How is it like baseball? Those who, but you upload cricket killed there, right? You don't know baseball. So baseball is strike one, strike two, and then strike three, you're out. So what happens is, so he, he was strike two. So after strike two, if they're fighting again, fighting again, fighting again, and then he ends up giving talaq, third time, khalas. Now he cannot take her back. Because the sharia says, we gave you one chance, you got back together again. Then you're fighting. Then you gave you a second chance. You got back together again. Then you're fighting. We gave you a third chance. And then you're fighting. So guess what? It's better you go your separate ways. In the long term, for your children, for your family, for society, for community, for the ummah. The ummah of Muhammad ﷺ will be a better state if you go your own ways. Don't live together because you guys can't live it. You can't do it. You just can't do it. So that's what the sharia says. So can they get, so now she's ba'ina, separated, mughallada. Mughallada means big separation. Cannot get married again. In the idda period, he cannot take her back. After the idda period, he cannot take her back. But time goes on. Time goes on and then she gets, there's no situation that they can get remarried, nor does the sharia want them to get remarried. We have to understand it. The, the concept and philosophy of this whole procedure is Sharia says, don't get remarried. Do not remarry. You remarried, you were married three times. It's not going to work. That's what the Sharia says. But life goes on. What happens when life goes on? She gets married to another person, another man. And not just a nikah, that marriage is consummated. And after that marriage is consummated, then what happens? Then she ends up having fights with that second man. And then that second husband ends up divorcing her. And after she married a second man, and after she, that second marriage was consummated, and after he ended up divorcing her, if, is there any way the first husband would want to marry such a woman? Normally, no. Why? Because he divorced her three times. On top of that, she was married to another guy. On top of that, she actually slept with another man physically slept with, had relations with another man, would there be any reason why the first husband wanted to marry her? No. There's no normal reason. According to normal male psychology, there would be no reason. Because he has ghayrah. He would not want to marry her. But, if there's some crazy scenario where he says that, oh my God, I was so blinded up till now about your true personality. <laughs> and now, despite what happened, I really want to get back together with you. This is a very unique scenario where he wants to marry the woman he divorced three times who has actually had physical relations with another man. And he says that, I will really want to get remarried to you. So there's one of two things. Either there was some huge change, metamorphosis, drastic change in the man's mentality, he began to see her, or there was a huge change in the woman's character that she, he believes that she would be a good candidate to get married. Either why there was some major change, only then he would even think about it. Then the Sharia says, Okay, it is permissible to get remarried. In this circumstance, it would be permissible for him to get remarried after the marriage was consummated with another husband and he divorced her. Then it is, is, is it recommended to get remarried? No, it's just permissible. 
Okay? This is the proper concept. After that, The Masail themselves are so much, if I go into evidences, we will never finish. So the evidences are in Surah Al-Baqarah. Now what happens is, we don't appreciate this logic. What do husbands do? Husbands, they give three talaqs in one breath. Then they come here. If there's a, any biggest take-home lesson of the whole discussion tonight, this would be the number one thing I want every married male to understand. Never ever give three talaqs in one breath. Because what are you doing? You're, you, are, you are destroying the whole system that Allah has put in the sharia. And now she's irrevocably divorced. And then the people, they ask such a foolish question, unfortunately due to ignorance. And they say, are you telling me what type of sharia is this? The only way my wife, the mother of my five children can come back to me is that now she has to get married to another man and the man has to sleep with her and then he has to divorce her. Then she's halal for me. The condition for remarriage is this. We are phrasing it incorrectly. That's not a condition for her to be halal for remarriage. That's Understanding it wrong. That's not the condition. There is no remarriage. Do not get remarried because you had three separate chances. You blew it by make, putting it all together at once. Right? So that's your ignorance that you ended up giving three at one time. And then you're saying, this is a condition for remarriage that she has to sleep with another man. What type of sharia is this? What type of law of Allah is this? Na'udhu billah. That's not a condition for remarriage. That was only that if life goes on and she ends up getting married and she ends up getting divorced, and if you express interest in remarrying her after divorcing three times, then it would have been permissible for you. That's all that the Quran is stating. You understand? It's not saying, yeah, it's the condition for remarriage. So, this is important to understand. So, this is when a person uses an explicit word. There will be talaq, raj'i, a revocable divorce. But if a person, he does not, in a cool manner, use an explicit word. Rather, he uses the other terms. Which, what did I call them? Ambiguous terms. Go home, get lost, get out of my life. These mean words. Then as a punishment for using these type of words, effective immediately would be an irrevocable divorce. Meaning, there is no period of idda to take her back. The first time he says such a word like that with the intention of talaq, it'll, she'll become separated, she'll be ba'ina, but mukhafaf, a light one. Meaning, he cannot take her back in the idda, but after idda, they can remarry if he gives a, a talaq like that again second time with ambiguous terms they can again remarry third time he does it then they're separated so any combination of explicit words or ambiguous words one two three all three explicit all three ambiguous two explicit one ambiguous two ambiguous one explicit any combination when the three are done then there is no way back without the infamous halala what is halala? Halala is that act when, when the second husband got married and had relations with the wife that's called halala. So this is what it's talking about. So this, now we can fly through these slides because we covered most of it. Who can affect divorce? Divorce can only be affected by sin. He's aqil. If he's majnoon, he becomes mad and this talaq is not effective. There are bigger other problems you have to deal with. If he's mature, if he's, an, if he's not bali, he cannot give talaq. He's awake. If he's saying talaq, talaq, talaq during his dream, then don't worry, that's a nightmare. Hopefully you're not part of that nightmare. But he's, that's not effective if he's, if he's awake, if he's asleep. Divorce not valid from a child. 
See this, it says sane, right? Opposite of sane, child. Opposite of mature is... Uh, opposite of mature is a child. Opposite of sane is insane. Opposite of awake is asleep. So a person who's asleep, it's a very bad dream he's having when he's saying talaq, talaq, talaq. <laughs> okay, this is one of those abused one too. The one who's overcome with extreme anger. Oh my God, this is a very common one. I was so angry. Now who gives divorce when they're happy? It's such a beautiful moon and these are flowers in a romantic setting with chocolates, you don't give talaq, right? A person gives talaq when they're angry. So, then what it means, this, this text is abused, it means when a person is so angry, so angry, so angry, and this is very, very rare, they become so upset, literally they are, there's like temporary insanity. It goes back to insanity. They are not aware of what they're saying, what they're doing. Like in the famous murder trials, this person was temporary insanity, he did not know that he pulled the trigger and killed somebody. Now is that, how, is that admissible in court as an accepted reason or not? You know, that can be debated, right? Likewise, this person, he literally, he doesn't know, he does not know what he's uttering. He literally doesn't know what he said. How, how many times in your life you got that angry? You had no idea, you cannot recollect what you uttered. Very, very rare. Only if it's that circumstance, that level of madness of anger, that you're unaware of what happened, what you said, who you killed, you don't know how many people you murdered. <laughs> then, then in that situation, the talaq will not be effective. But if you're aware that you did not kill anyone, you're aware what you said, you're very angry and you said it, it's going to be effective. And if you said three, then do not continue to lead a life of zina with who you're supposing is your lawfully wedded wife. There are people who are living, leading lives of zina with their wives, what they think considered their wife. Okay. So this is the anger issue. Um, a person is intoxicated, divorced by an intoxicated person. This is a punishment for his intoxication. That even though he's not in his senses, if he's drunk, how did he get drunk? Because he drank. He wasn't even just like a social drinker, drinking a little bit here and there at the party. He actually is drunk now. <laughs> now social drinking is by the way haram too. <laughs> but so if he's drunk and he's giving talaq, that's, that's his problem. Second one is really scary. One, one is forced. Like in some movie, they tied up the guy. It, doesn't ha- it happens in real life too. The in-laws come and they tie him up and they're beating him with a whip. Talaq de la May Allah protect us. If that happens, then the talaq will be effective. Why is it effective? It's because he issued it, he knows what he's saying. He's not pleased with the result. Just like if he says this when he's joking, it's effective, even though he's not pleased with the result. All right. So the, like for example, if you shoot somebody and you didn't mean it, he's going to die. Right? I remember a while back, like, um, anyway, there are different people, they, they're, they're going hunting and they saw something, they thought it was a bird, but it was an orange jacket of another hunter. They shot somebody. So it's going to hurt him. The fact that you didn't intend to kill a human being doesn't make a difference. He might die. So likewise, if you didn't intend it, it will be effective. Uh, while in chest, while angry, will all be affected. This is the hadith I mentioned. They are serious. When they are seriously or in chest. Salatun jiddun jiddun wa hazalun jiddun. The words must be verbalized or written. Or a mute person, he can signal it, who, who cannot speak. Uh, let's not be, take too extreme. If somebody, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, he says that, I just thought about talaq, or I saw a picture of talaq. Is my wife, wife divorced? No. If you, 
إن الله قد تجاوز عن عمتي ما توسوست بصدورها ما لم يتكلم بها ويعمل بها وكما قال عليه السلام. The Prophet said, whatever thoughts cross your mind, Allah has forgiven that for the ummah unless you speak it or articulate it or act upon it. If you just thought about divorce or uh, you saw image of divorce, that will not affect your marriage. Okay. Um, it has to be in the past or present tense. This is very technical thing. Meaning it, the man had to say, I have divorced you in the past tense. Or in Arabic, talaqtuki or anti talaq. Or present tense, I am divorcing you. The same thing with nikah. Uh, and if he uses the future tense, that will not be nikah or talaq. This happens sometimes in the marriages. When we say, Did, have you accepted her? That's why I always tell the grooms, use the past tense, I have accepted her. I give them the prep because I don't want to embarrass them in front of everyone on the mic. If he says, I will, or then that will not be a nikah. That means I will marry her sometime in the future, but not now. It has to be, I have accepted her. Qabil tuha in the past tense in Arabic. Or I have accepted her hand in marriage. Likewise, talaq. If he says, I will give you a divorce. I will give you talaq. That will not be a talaq. Is he just promising something about the future and he is up to him to fulfill the promise or not to fulfill the promise? He said like, I will take the family to Disneyland in spring break. But then he doesn't. He says, too bad kids, we're not going. So, so the same way, it's just a, it's a promise. He said, I will. Then he fulfills the promise or he does not fulfill the promise. It's up to him, right? So, so he just said, I will give talaq. Going back to that scenario where the guy is tied up and he's being beaten up. Give her talaq, give her talaq. Now that he's armed with this knowledge, what should he say? I will give her one talaq, I will give her two talaq, I will give her three talaq. So how many talaq? Zero talaq. So after they leave, then he calls the, he, he goes to the emergency room and everything, then he's okay. His wife is still his wife. Because if you use the future tense, there is no talaqs. Okay. So the, um, the, the, <laughs> and the words must be attributed to the wife. That means either directly or indirectly. Uh, if he just says the word separate, he has to say, I, I give divorce to Fulana bint Fulan. Or he said to my wife. If he just used, I just says the word talaq, talaq, without any name, or like we're doing the teachers te teaching students, there will be no talaq. And um, he has to attribute it to his wife, as I just mentioned. Even if he. In and it's not necessary the wife is present. Sometimes they say, my wife was not in front of me. The wife's presence is not a condition. Witnesses are not a condition. Remember that. Witnesses are a condition for nikah. Witnesses are not a condition for talaq. They're recommended. They're recommended. Why? Because if someone denies it and says, no, there was no talaq, then you have witnesses. No, I was present when he gave talaq. The imam is a witness. The community member is a witness. Family member is a witness. So witnesses are recommended, but not conditioned. What does that mean? If someone gives talaq when no one is there, Absolute, he's in solitude, sitting in a room, room thinking by himself, and he says, I give my wife three talaqs. And he just says it. No one is there. He's in, in a cell. He's like in solitary confinement, and he gives talaq sitting there. The whole talaq will be effective with no witnesses. Um, if, if he pronounces without clearly attributing it, but the circumstances indicate it's being attributed to her, if you're having an uh, argument, she's saying, give me divorce, give me divorce, divorce me. And he says, divorce, divorce, divorce. Then he doesn't have to take her name. It's going to be understood through the context. Or he points to his wife and says, divorce. Uh, so this is where I talked about earlier, clear words and elusive words. Elusive words are ambiguous words. Clear words um, have the specific meaning. 
and it will effectuate a revocable divorce, talaq raj'i. In, in Kinaya words, that the, the, a person can not take her back. Um, so that's what it says. Depending on whether clear words are used or elusive words are used, it can be revocable or irrevocable. When is it revocable? Clear words. When is it irrevocable? Ambiguous words. What is the necessity of intention? What's the difference? With clear words, in, intention is not necessary. With elusive words, intention is necessary. Each one will be one one divorce. Um, revocable divorce is called talaq raj'i when you can take her back. It's clear words, regardless of intention. If he says, I divorce you three times, it'll be three divorces. If he says, I divorce you one time, it'll be one divorce. Whatever he says, it'll be effective. I already explained this when in the gap before. If, if there's a revocable divorce, the marriage is now suspended. She could start her idda. One of the three talaqs have been used. If they want to reconcile, they can do so in the idda without nikah. After idda, they have to do a new nikah. Covered? Everyone follow? Irrevocable means like I'm separating you from me. So in this scenario, there will be an irrevocable divorce. He cannot take her back in the idda, but they can get remarried. Okay. If he mixes them, these are different scenarios. Uh, I want to look in at the time. Allahu Akbar, we're very late. We have some other issues to cover too. So I'm going to skip some of these slides. If someone asks a husband, did you divorce your wife? And if he says, yes. Again, this will be one talaq. This is a scenario where he doesn't repeat the whole word himself. All he said was yes. This is, that's why this is a unique scenario, a separate scenario mentioned. For example, you don't have to repeat what's in the question when you give an answer. If I ask you, man daraba zaydan? Who hit Zayd? And then you just say Amrun. You just said Amr. What does that mean? It means Amr hit Zayd. You don't have to repeat the whole sentence. So likewise, if a person says, did you divorce your wife? And if a man says, yes, he didn't say, I divorced my wife. He just said, what did he say? Yes, that's all he said, but it would be a talaq. Because what's, con what's mentioned in the question will be considered in the answer. If the wife asks the husband, am I divorced? divorced? And he said, yes. Again, it will be a talaq. If, he, if the wife says, give me a talaq, and he says, yes, it will be a talaq. All of these. So basically what we're learning, if you can't remember all the scenarios right now, that's fine. Okay, it's fine. Don't get too overburdened. But the general idea is, this is a topic you don't want to be talking about, taking it lightly. Okay. The sunnah method of giving talaq is in a state of purity, without having relations, knowing the wife is not pregnant, okay, and giving only one. And then after the idda finishes, if he wants to give three, then he gives it in the next purity. Then he gives her in the next period of purity. And what's the bid'ah method? What's a sinful method? Is when he gives his wife talaq when she's in her period, or after having relations with her, or when she's pregnant. Or giving more than one at one time. Giving two or three at one time. These are all prohibited, sinful. Effective, at the same time, yet sinful. Um, that's what I said. Even though giving divorce remains is sinful, it impermissible, it will still be effective. It has to be abstained from. Okay. Written divorce as well. This is another whole thing. If a man did not articulate it, but he wrote it, a written divorce will be affected if it's clear and understandable writing. As long as the husband wrote the words himself through his own free will. Formal writing will be effective 
as soon as the writing is complete, if he writes, I divorced Fulana bint Fulan, it will be effective right when he finished the writing it. Whether he sent the letter or not. Someone will say, I wrote it, but it's in my rough draft. I did not send the email. Khalas. The fact that you wrote it, it will be the talaq right there, equivalent of saying it. Uh, huh, uh, if he puts a condition, you are divorced once you receive this letter. So she has to make sure she does not receive that letter. Because the divorce will be not effective until she receives it. Because this falls under talaq mu'alla, conditional talaq. Meaning he put a condition. The talaq will be effective once you receive it. Um, so there are more details about, we can, if some of these comes up in the q and I'll take these. Otherwise, I, we can skip these right now. Email, talaq, SMS, talaq, WhatsApp, talaq, Viber, talaq, Voxer, talaq, right? Na'udhu billah min Okay, legal divorce. Oh, this is important. When the husband initiates a legal divorce, then he's like he's making the court his agent. He's making tawkil bi talaq. He's telling the court, you divorce my wife on my behalf. So when the judgment is issued in his favor, then it will be a shari talaq at the same time. It's like a man says to someone else, go and divorce my wife on, and I give you the responsibility to give her talaq on my behalf. So when the man goes and says to the wife, the talaq is not there until the wakil, until the representative goes and says that I divorce you on behalf of your husband. So the same thing is happening here. He's telling the court, you divorce my wife on my behalf. What about if the wife initiates a legal divorce? The divorce is not affected until the husband knowingly and willingly signs the divorce papers. As soon as he signs, the divorce will be affected because he accepted it. Then there's a whole bunch of scenarios of conditional talaqs, mu'allaq talaqs, that in a husband, he ties it up to some future event. If you go to visit so-and-so, then your talaq. If you enter that house, then talaq. If you do this, then talaq. Then the talaq will come into effect only if that condition falls. Otherwise, not in the present tense. So, for example, uh, you, uh, the husband should not abuse his authority. Should not abuse his authority. But if he says that, if you go to so-and-so's home, then there is talaq. So, that means if she goes there, the talaq will occur. And if he, she does not go, the talaq will not occur. Again, he has to use the... Pre- even in conditional talaq, he has to use the past tense or present tense. If he says, if you go to so-and-so's house, I will give you talaq. She goes there, nothing will happen. Because he said, I will. And then he just chose not to. He has to say, I have. Okay, so seeking divorce. If it, if it is determined that the marriage is no longer viable, the husband should divorce the wife using a preferred method. Now we go on to the next thing. If the husband, we say, okay, first reconcile, doesn't work. Mediation does not work. Become a better husband, become a better wife, it doesn't work. Exhaust all that. Then we say, husband, okay, you just give her talaq. He says, no, I'm not. You're doing zulm on her. No, I don't care. I don't want to talk to you about it. My life, my problem, get lost. I don't want to give talaq. Then what do you do? Then the next option is khula. Khula means to take off. Khala, like uh, in a different context, Allah Ta'ala tells Musa alayhi salam when he comes hadith Musa? Do you know the story of Musa? Allah asks in Surah Taha with his pregnant wife in the cold night he was coming back from Madian to Misr and he saw a fire burning so he says that I'll try to find the way and I'll get some fire from there to his wife and he goes there and he sees a green bush. It's completely bright green and it's burning, engulfed in flames at the same time. How is the green bush burning? He's looking at it, he's amazed. Then he hears a voice coming from all around him. Inna Allah, I am Allah. La ilaha illa ana. Ya Musa, 
O Musa, ikhla'na alayk. Ikhla' me khula of your na'al, of your shoes. Take off your shoes. Innaka bil wadil muqaddasi tuwa. You are in the noble valley of, sacred valley of tuwa. So Allah said, ikhla' This comes from the same verb, khula' Take off. Ikhla'na alayk. Take off your shoes. So khula' means to take off. When Allah spoke to Musa. So uh, marriage partners are our garments. They are like garments unto you, you are like garments unto them. So when a man takes off his garment, or a woman takes off the garment, that's called khula. That's the, anyway, the linguistic discussion of the word. So khula is, uh, people have a, don't understand what khula is. They think that it's like when the wife gives the talaq, it's called khula, isn't it? No, the wife does not give talaq. The wife asks for khula. She says that, let me go. And, and what she says is that she's, she gives a, she says, a monetary incentive. I will give my mahar back. Mahar used to be a very significant amount. In some cultures it still is. So she says, I'll give my mahar back, let me go. If the man knows it's his fault, that's why she's seeking separation, it's sinful for him to take the mahar back. If it's not his fault, it's her fault, and she's, she is not interested in him anymore for her own reasons, then it is permissible for him to take the mahar back. And this khula is also contingent upon his acceptance. So it's just like talaq then. In the sense that he has to say, yes, I accept the khula. Oh, so what about the woman? If, she, if he says, no, I won't accept the khula. Then we have to go to option number three. Talaq was the husband initiated it. Khula is the wife initiates it. And asks the husband, please let me go. And then he has to say, I accept your khula. If he says, I reject your khula, then she's back to square one. She, she's still wedded to him. Then what she has to do is she will have to go to a in Islamic in a genuine Islamic state. Islamic state is a bad word now, All right, Islamic state. But in a genuine Islamic state, she would go to the Islamic judge and present her case and say, "My husband is not giving me talaq, nor is he accepting khula, and I want out." Then there are certain scenarios of protocol. The hus- they will call the husband, ask him, give talaq. If he doesn't, and and if she can prove abuse and her rights are not being fulfilled. Then and a very extraordinary thing occurs, and, it's t- and there are certain conditions for that. It's not taken lightly. Is that an outside authority, the Islamic judge, in the absence of Islamic judge, like in this country, a panel of scholars, a panel of scholars, not one scholar sitting by himself in his office, issuing fusk. They will make fusk of the nikah. Third word, talaq, then khula, then fusk. Fusk is annulling the marriage. Why this is extraordinary is because the man will say, "She's not your wife. Who are you? How you divorce my wife?" So he has to have justification for that. He can't say that she just came and cried once. He has to have some evidence. Based on that evidence, with the whole court, following a particular protocol, which you absolutely don't have time to go into, based on those rules, there are certain clear-cut cases. Like for example, the husband is lost. M-I-A, missing in action. How many years? Four years. If you heard that he died in the battle, then she becomes a widow. Four months, ten days, idda, she can remarry. But if you don't know, he died. Is he alive? He may be alive. He's a prisoner of war somewhere. He's a POW. So what, how long is she going to wait? After four years of waiting, then Islamically, she can get a fusk of the nikah. And after the fusk of the nikah, she has idda of three months. After idda of three months, she can remarry. If she remarries, the second marriage is lawful. Even if what happens? You guessed it right. What happens? He comes from the jungle. He comes out. After ten years, he comes out. And she's remarried. Is the second marriage valid? Yes. Are the children legitimate? Yes. Everything is okay. Because when the Qadi made first of the nikah, that was equivalent of a 
talaq. Or the husband is majnoon, crazy, he can't give talaq. Then the qazi will make fasq. He's in the mental hospital, he can't give talaq. Or he's impotent, and it's proven that he's impotent. He cannot fulfill the physical, intimate needs of the wife. Or he's physically abusing her, or he's mentally abusing her, and it is proven that he's doing that. In those scenarios, he's not giving talaq, he's not accepting khula, then they can be fasq. So there is a way out for the woman eventually. So this is what the slide talks about khula. And um, taking back a divorced wife, we talked about this. In the idda, they can get back together. She can dress attractively if she wants to get him back. After He can take her back verbally or physically. And if he does not want to take the wife back, he should abstain from being with her. What are the grounds for a wife seeking divorce? If he's, he's not financially supporting her, he's abusing her, impotence, he's mad, he has AIDS, he has leprosy, he's deserting her, he's deceiving her, he's concealing information. Um, all of these inf- scenarios are legitimate scenarios for seeking divorce. What does the woman do in idda? She has to abstain from addressing uh, uh, um, and um, applying per- makeup. She should not leave the home unless she has to earn money. During the idda, these are the three, three menstrual cycles for a divorced woman and four months, ten days for a widow. Four months and ten days, that's only for a widow, not for a divorced woman. That's the idda period. The, the husband is responsible for the financial support during the idda. And not after. Uh, after the idda is over, there's no alimony. There's child support in Islam, there's no alimony. Yeah, so all the cases when women are fighting for alimony, that's right there, it's haram. After the talaq is over, after, during the idda, she has the right. After the idda, then she becomes financial responsibility of her father if he's earning, or brothers if they're earning, or son if he's earning. But not the ex-husband. Uh, what about the big issue of child custody after divorce? Uh, they can come to any mutually agreeable custody arrangement, provided this is the last issue, I think I have the slides. There are so many other questions and other issues, but this is the last muscle on the slides. There is no objection from those who have a right. Who has the right to custody? The right to custody of Hadana is for the mother, for the young children, because the mother is the one who's suckling the baby, the mother is the one cleaning the baby. Up to what age? Up to seven years of age for the boy. Because after seven years of age, when he can dress by himself, he can clean himself up, then now he comes into the age, the logic behind it is now he comes to the educational phase of his development. And the ta'alim phase. In the ta'alim phase, the one who is better in a position to educate the son is the father. This is a big problem in the community where women are fighting for custody after the child is seven years of age. And being granted full custody. If the father wants to give the custody over, that's great. She can have him. But if he's fighting, he wants his son back. And the mother is not giving the son back to the father. Then she is sinful. Let it be clear. She has visitation rights in our deen. Both parents always have visitation rights. Both parents have visitation rights. No one can take the visitation rights of the biological father, biological mother. But full custody goes to the father when the child reaches, boy reaches seven, and when the girl reaches puberty. When the girl reaches puberty. Why? Because when the girl is younger, then uh, the mother has to teach her. And when she reaches the age of puberty, the etiquette of femininity and the purification rules and tahara, the mother has to teach her how to be a girl, how to be a woman now. And afterward, then protecting her chastity is... Is, uh, is a dominant concern and that is a better uh, the father is a su- best, better suited to protect her 
chastity when she is a teenager with all these attractions around. So, uh, when the child is, after the child becomes baligh, physically mature, the boy, then he's free to choose when he wants to stay with his mother or father. Um, the custody will be taken away from the mother if she leaves Islam. If she leaves Islam. I performed one marriage, I remember in, uh, in, in, the, in the marriage certif in the certificate, there was a condition on there. In the marriage certificate of the masjid where I was an imam, uh, in the default template, uh, it was a condition that we agreed that we will raise our children as Muslims. So I performed the nikah between a man and a convert sister. Unfortunately, later on, the convert sister became murtad and left Islam. And then she, divorce occurred naturally. And then he was, uh, she was fighting for custody. And then uh, I performed the nikah like 10 years ago in 2006. And recently, then the husband, he called me and he said that, do you have a copy of the marriage certificate? My lawyer mentioned that it could be help me, helpful in my case because in the marriage certificate, it was agreed. We will agree to raise our children as Muslims. And she's going to raise her, my child as a non-Muslim. So that document came and helped him out in his case. Because she's a non-Muslim, she left Islam. Why is she going to raise her children as a Muslim? Anyway, um, if she gets remarried, then she loses custody. One woman came to Rasulullah and said, Ya Rasulullah, I bore the child nine months in my womb and I suckled this baby and my ex-husband now wants to snatch him from me. Rasulullah said, Anti ahaqi biha. You have the most right to keep your child. Ma lam tankahi. Until you get married. If she gets married, then she, her loyalty will be split with her husband. Then she will lose the... So then who does the custody go to? It still goes to woman. If not the mother, then the maternal grandmother, nani. If not the maternal grandmother, then the paternal grandmother, dadi. Then sisters, the women still have it. Then maternal aunt, khala. Then pupi, then paternal aunt. So the, the maternal side in every level above the paternal side. The naniyal, the mother side. Mother, if mother becomes, gets remarried, then nani, the maternal grandmother. If not maternal grandmother, then paternal grandmother, dadi. If not that, then sisters. Then khala, then pupi. Afterward, if all these women die, there's no woman to take care of the baby, then paternal grandfather and brothers. Father, grandfather and brothers. Then it goes to the males. Afterward, after the boy becomes seven, after the girl becomes, uh, reaches puberty, then it goes to the husband. The husband, uh, the father will have the custody. And... When the boy becomes baligh, he has the right now to live with his father or live with his mother, his choice. So this is with regards to custody. Financial burden, child support, there's no alimony, I made it very clear, but there is child support for, on the father until the children reach maturity. For the boys, for the girls. Whether he has custody or doesn't, he still has to maintain them. So now uh, I kind of rushed through that, but there, I, I was still very long, very, very long, unfortunately. If you have any questions, Actually, uh, then this is the, the number to text. You can ask your anonymous questions. And I would like to call up our brother uh, Hafiz Naveed uh, Sayyid here, who is here as well for, uh, as a lawyer, who can help us on the legal side. If you have any questions regarding nikah, talaq, marriage, in, in, until you get your questions, I will ask him two, three minutes, five minutes, not too long, if you can give us a brief synopsis of his experience with the Muslim families and the level of divorces in the community. Inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Just summary until you get your questions. Please start texting your questions so we can answer them. And 
the official question and session will keep it for a few minutes because the program extended very long. Then we will stop it and we will continue one on one. We can continue always asking questions after the program is over. We'll let, we'll, we'll let everyone go. But after this last presentation, Jazakallah, please uh, bear with him a few more minutes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Alhamdulillah. All praise to Allah. I'm actually very surprised at the crowd here. I was afraid that as soon as we saw a program on divorce, people would be afraid to come. But Alhamdulillah, there's a good amount of people here. I've been talking to Mufti Minhaj and Mufti Azimuddin about the prevalence of this issue within our practice, and I'm very, very happy to see this type of program. So again, my name is Naveed Hussain. I'm a partner at Faruqi and Hussain. Uh, my partner, Osaf Faruqi, is here as well. Um, we started the firm about a year and a half ago, and we really like to focus on family law, estate planning, business litigation, immigration and what instead of only practicing law what we seek to do is to teach the Muslim community that there is a way that we can merge the rules that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to follow within our own community so as I said one of the areas of practice at our firm is family law and over the last few years subhanAllah just last year we had close to 290 cases of which 120 were divorces or divorce related cases including child custody battles divorce cases etc and what we've come to realize is that divorce is a business a 50 billion dollar business they say that people spend the most money when kids are born when kids get married and upon death but I think we're forgetting that another big place where money is spent and wasted is in divorce another aspect that I'd like to mention before we get into the Q&A is the difference between the divorces that we see in the Muslim community versus the divorces that we see in the non-Muslim community and it really touches on what Mufti Minhaj was speaking about the abruptness and how anger can really change someone's life when it comes to non-Muslims in their divorces, what we see is that they don't come to us immediately. As soon as the fight happens, they're not knocking at our door. Rather, they take their time, they separate for some time, they mend their affairs, maybe they even start dating, and then a year or two later they come to the lawyers, they're emotionally, they're sound, and they've probably worked out the majority of their issues and then they get a divorce, which allows for a smooth, cheap, relatively cheap divorce when it comes to Muslims however it is the exact opposite as soon as there is a fight the first place that Muslims run to is their lawyer and with these emotional issues that are being involved that can definitely raise the tension between the couples and when they waste the attorney's time with their emotional issues instead of having it resolved by a counselor or with someone else that also runs up the bill so just a few things that I'd like to mention about 
divorce in Illinois as opposed to divorce in Islam, number one. And number two, just kind of the issues that we're dealing with in a divorce, and then inshallah we can go into the Q&A, or if there's no time for Q&A, maybe we can meet with myself and my partner Osaf Faruqi is here as well. So, speaking legally, there's nothing that anyone can do to stop a divorce. As soon as a divorce is filed in the court system, there's no defense to a divorce. A husband can't say, well, I'm a nice guy, don't grant a divorce. The reality is as soon as a petition is filed, there's nothing that me or you can do to stop it. Illinois is considered a no-fault divorce, meaning the court does not care, and really the lawyers don't care, of why you're getting a divorce. The lawyer's job is really to address three or four issues. Number one is children. Where are the children going to live? How is the mom going to visit the child? Or how is the dad going to visit the child? This is called parental responsibility or parental time. Formerly, it used to be called custody, but in 2016, they actually changed the laws to try to get away from the winning and losing um, mentality that people had when it came to these types of fights. The second issue that an attorney is going to help you with or try to fix is maintenance and child support. So these are payments that are made either to the wife or the husband or payments that are made for the support of the child. So that's the second thing. And in Illinois, this is based on a formula. Third is property division. In Illinois, the court system tries to split whatever marital property that the couple has acquired evenly, or equitably, I should say. So any property that is acquired after the marriage, essentially what the court is looking at is what property was acquired from the beginning of the marriage till the end of the marriage, and that property that was acquired is then split. So that does not relate to any property that was bought before marriage or that was taken by inheritance before the marriage. So really when it comes to Illinois law, it is very different from the Islamic aspect of it. You know, when it comes to who can give a divorce in Illinois, any party can give a divorce. When it comes to child custody, there is no set formula as to who has the child or who gets to visit the child. Rather, the court uses something called the best interest of the child. And the best interest of the child is based on a number of different factors. Um, you know, the wishes of the child, the wishes of the parents, um, who used to take care of the kids, etc. So there's many different factors that a court can, can consider to award parental time or parental responsibility. Um, and really, that's all I really wanted to cover. And I just want to leave you with some points, inshallah, to help us, if we do come into the situation, to save some time, save some money, and to save some heartache. What I would recommend anyone who is thinking of divorce is to not to go to the lawyer first. Go to the counselors, go to your imams, go to your family members, go to the elders in your community and try to work out those issues. Even if it's ending up where you decide that, you know what, I'm going to divorce my husband, or I'm going to divorce my wife, that's fine. Make sure that we try to resolve the emotional issues before we knock at the lawyer's door. Secondly is prenuptial or postnuptial contracts. We've talked about meher agreements, um, which you know, I have some problems with in terms of their enforceability, but the reality is, is that in a prenuptial or postnuptial agreement, there are certain things that we can decide and certain things that we can discuss 
in the event a divorce takes place. And really what the prenuptial agreement is going to cover is property-related issues. A prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement cannot discuss children, child custody, or anything really relating to the children. Number one. Number two, it cannot discuss the day-to-day tasks of the husband or the wife. So we have many clients who come and say that, you know, we like to come up with a postnuptial agreement or prenuptial agreement that outlines what the responsibilities of the husbands are and what the responsibility of the wife is. Unfortunately, that has no bearing in a prenuptial or postnuptial agreement in Illinois. Um, third is to explore alternative dispute resolution mechanisms. For example, mediation. Instead of having to go through lawyers to determine how much maintenance is going to be paid or how much child support is going to be paid, there are other options such as mediation or working together with imams and having a collaborative space to try to resolve our problems. So with that, inshallah, I'll open the door for Q&A. I'm not sure if we're going to do it formally. Sure. Welcome, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. So we got some questions that were texted. This is a question. Wife and husband have lived separate due to issues with no contact at all for more than one year and continue to do so. Are they still a couple? So there's something called ila. It's mentioned in the Quran when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, that if a man, he takes an oath. So if a man takes an oath, Wallahi, I will not have physical relations with you. He tells his wife. And four months pass. Then after four months pass, automatically there will be a talaq. Yeah, if you get scared, no, hold on. This is if he takes an oath. If he takes an oath, Wallahi, I will not have relations with you for four months. This is in Surah Al-Baqarah. Arba'ati ashur, four months, then that'll automatically be a talaq. Uh, and what should he do if he ended up saying something like that in anger? I will not come near you. Then he, he should break his oath. And he should have relations with his wife before four months transpire. And then he will have to give the kafara for breaking his oath. And the kafara for breaking his oath is that he has to feed... Feed ten miskin. Oh, kiswatum, or clothe them. And if he doesn't have money to do that, then fast three days. People, when they break their oaths, they say, We have to fast three days. No, that's only if you don't have money. Otherwise, you have to clothe or feed ten people. And then his marriage will be safe. So he should break that oath. If he does not break the oath and four months pass, then they will automatically be considered a talaq. However, if he abstains from his wife, not four months, but whole 12 months, two years, three years, he has no relations because of visa situation or he's blocked somewhere, it will have no effect on his nikah. His nikah will remain valid. There are many people who are working in the Gulf countries and they have blue collar jobs and they don't have iqama for their wives. They only have iqama for themselves and they're five years they're working in the Gulf, for example. They can't visit their families for five years or they want to save up and they don't want to travel and bear the expenses. So they remain away from their wife for five years they're working. The nikah is still valid because they did not take an oath. If they took an oath, four months the nikah would break. So that's the answer to that question. Uh, if the wife says, I will divor- divorce you verbally and in writing multiple times, how should the husband translate this? According to Sharia, of course, that will not be a talaq. 
Legally, if she's taking action, of course, that would be a talaq, but sharan, it wouldn't. That would, be a, that would be a divorce legally, but it would not be a sharia talaq. So there are all kinds of crazy scenarios happening. Women are, for example, uh, initiating divorce against husbands and getting the divorce to the court of law, and the husband is not agreeing till the end, it's contested. And then he does not give talaq. And if he does not give talaq, and then she wants to get remarried, and she gets remarried, then it's not permissible for her to get remarried. Her second nikah is not valid. So in this case, what do we advise? We advise the husband that she actually legally got separated from you. Why are you holding on to her? Making her second nikah haram. Do go ahead and release her and give her talaq. You follow? Because he, he's, just, he's just being uh, stubborn at this point. So that's another second question. I see, um, please give the fiqh on alimony uh, since there is no baytul mal. Yeah, of course, there is no baytul mal, meaning public Muslim treasury, to uh, support such uh, people. But that's why I mentioned that if the father is still earning, the father of the girl will be responsible. If not, then her brothers who are earning. If not, then her son who may be earning, if he's old enough. But not the ex-husband. Um, if a, ch a boy reaches the age of seven and father refuses to take full custody of children for financial burden, should the mother take alimony? Yeah, so this is a unique scenario where the father does not take, he has the right to take his child according to Sharia, but he does not want to take it. Uh, for, so then the mother is raising the child, it would be permissible for her to take child support for that child. Not for herself, but for the child's education, for the child's upbringing, it would be permissible for her to take it. And whatever it's called, if it's called alimony, but if it's the intention is for the child, it would be permissible. If it's genuinely used for the child. And then a question is, uh, how can someone divorce three times since you will be divorcing a divorced person? Also, do all schools of thoughts agree with this? Yes, if a person gives one talaq to his wife, and then he gives us, uh, um, she is divorced, right? A revocable divorce, but she is still open to being given a second talaq. And then after that, she's still available for a third talaq. So the question is that, oh, how can you give a talaq to a woman who you already gave talaq to? Yes, after giving one talaq, while she's still in the idda, he can give her a second talaq and a third talaq. Uh, what is true is that if he gives one talaq and the idda finishes, and now she's completely separated, then if he says a hundred times talaq to her, nothing will happen. That's uh, another interesting scenario which I did not talk, talk about when I initially presented because it didn't cross my mind but the question brought it to my mind that if a man gives one talaq to his wife during the idda he doesn't say anything more after the idda passes she's separated she's like a ajnabi, a strange woman now if he gives two, three, four, five talaqs they will not be effective but during the idda if he gives two, three then all those will be effective and according to all madhahib that is all madhahib Hanafi, Shafi, Maliki, Hanbali so that, uh, alhamdulillah, uh, uh, many times we have so many questions, we answer as many as we can, and then we always have this regret that we could not um, answer all of them, but I think we got all of them tonight. There's one here I see more. Is there any way to nullify implicit talaq by preemptive agreeing with your spouse that it will be invalid? No, there's no such thing. That's wishful thinking. That if uh, uh, the couple... Uh, they preemptively agree that it will be invalid. We agree, we make this agreement that any time in your life if you say the word talaq, it will not be effective. So that agreement is, you can just tear it up and throw it away. Shred it maybe if you want to. Uh, it does not have any effect. Meaning the responsibility is given. We are, we are responsible for what words we utter. We have to take this responsibility seriously. 
Um, how to deal with the person? Uh, how, how to deal with a person who is taking a leadership role in breaking multiple couples and has been successful? So this person, if he's uh, is breaking marriages and is being successful, then this is a very, very major, major sin. Rasulullah said, Those who want uh, marital discord and fitna to uh, flourish in the community, they have the most dreadful torment in the adab in the akhirah. So this person should be warned against and exposed, and should be people should be aware of this person and stay away from him. Make dua that Allah protect us from the shadow of such a person. So until we, inshallah, I, still I can conclude by saying we have answered every question, and alhamdulillah we bring that session to a close. Of course, there may be more questions in your minds in different scenarios that in extended families and people you know that are going through different scenarios. If you can. Bring that to our attention at any time. We will be willing to help you in, in the light of the Sharia. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of us and protect and preserve our marriages. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Allahumma ja'al ijtima'ana hadha ijtima'an marhuma. Wa ja'al tafarruqana ba'dahu tafarruqan ma'asuma. Wa la tada'afina wa la minna wa la ma'ana shaqiyya wa la mahruma. Oh Allah, all those brothers and sisters who sat here so long, so late in the night. Oh Allah, reward them for their patience. Oh Allah, protect everyone's marriages that are here, Ya Rabbul Alameen, from intentional or unintentional separation. Oh Allah, those that are going through difficulty, grant them relief from the difficulty, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Fill the hearts of uh, the spouses with love for one another and understanding and respect, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Oh Allah, remove the curse of divorce from our community, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Grant us understanding of the fiqh of, uh, of all the mu'amalat and ibadat in the entire deen, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Allow us to be among those who enter into deen completely, wholly from all aspects. And oh Allah, not among those who... Choose and pick and choose and practice on some and leave others, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yusufun. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.